You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. As Garrett said, we are wrapping up our Divine Direction series, and this has been a really great series. I hope you enjoyed it. If you've missed any of it, you can actually go online to our website or the podcast, and you can get caught up. But we're really tackling this question of what does God want us to do with our lives, or answering the question when we have options, what is the best option? When we say yes to a relationship with Jesus and we start following after God, many times we want his input. And sometimes we're asking the question, Questions are like, God, help me make not the wrong choice, right? I don't want to make the wrong choice. I want to make the right choice. And so this question comes up all the time. God, what is your will? What should I do? Which choice should I take? And so that's what we've been unpacking the last couple of weeks, figuring out what this divine direction is, how God can come alongside of us, how he can give us wisdom, how he can guide us in those choices and those decisions. Many times when we go on a divine direction, we start a new direction. And to start a new direction, that means you typically have got to go away from an old direction, right? So if you start something new, sometimes, if not all the times, you have to walk away from something old. So when you're doing something and you're like, hey, we're going to go do this instead, typically you got to give up some things that you were already doing. And so sometimes when this happens, this really requires us to step out of our comfort zone. Matter of fact, sometimes it takes a pretty big step of faith to do something. And so my my prayer for you in this series that if God is calling you to do something or you felt that there's something that you needed to do, and I, I don't know what that is, maybe starting school or uh, maybe working out, maybe you were going to do that. I mean, I got a gym membership this year. I can tell you how many times I've been there goose egg. But, you know, I want to do that and get on started on that divine direction of doing that. Maybe it's a job or maybe serving um, here at the church, maybe getting involved in some kind of ministry. Maybe God's placed some gift inside of you and you want to be able to use that and serve. Or maybe getting involved in a small group is something that that'll be a new direction for you, getting involved with that or, or tithing or getting out of debt or dating someone or even maybe just starting over completely. Maybe that's what your next step looks like and taking a new direction of just hitting the reset button. But you got to leave your comfort zone in order to start something new. And that, that can be really hard. And matter of fact, that takes faith. To be able to say, I'm going to go into a new direction. I'm going to start something new. I'm going to walk away from something that's old. Because many times what we're doing, we tend to get comfortable. We're creatures of habit and we like comfort, which there's nothing wrong with comfort. But many times in our lives, Sometimes that can stop us from taking the next step and doing something that we really should be doing. But for many people, the thing that stops us most of all, I think, is simply being able to start. It's not necessarily even, we talked about the before and after pictures that everyone posts online, and they look great, and we want to do that, we want to achieve that, or we want to do those things, but really it's the start so many times which I think really holds us back from being able to do things. And now we're going to give this statement to you, and you're probably going to be like, wow, Brian, this is really great that this take you all week to figure this out, but you will never finish something you don't start, right? Wow, man, that was an incredible revelation. You will never finish something that you don't start. And so if you don't start, you're never going to be able to finish. So it doesn't matter what direction you want to go in. It doesn't matter what decision you're facing. If you don't start, you will never, ever finish. And I want to encourage you today in this message that I truly believe that you can have the faith to start. And that's the fourth part of this message, faith to start. 
It doesn't matter what that divine direction is. It doesn't matter what that calling is. It doesn't matter what that prompting you feel from God. It doesn't matter if you're trying to improve yourself or better yourself or make some good decisions. It doesn't matter all of that, even all of the best wisdom in the world to guide you on the right path. If you don't start, you're never going to finish. And so today, I want to encourage you with this message of giving you the faith to start. And so we're going to take a look at a guy named Nehemiah. And you may have heard of Nehemiah before. Maybe you've never heard of Nehemiah and you're like, I don't know who that is. It's a book in the Bible. It's a, it's a guy. And so we're going to take a look at him and we're going to unpack this. And maybe you know the story. And so this will be a review. Maybe you've never heard this before. But before we talk about Nehemiah, we have to back up a little bit. And so God's people the Israelites, they, they lived in Jerusalem, and so these were God's people, and he basically entered into a covenant with them. They had this agreement that they were going to serve him, that they were going to follow him, that they wouldn't worship any other gods, they would obey the commands that he gave them, remember like Ten Commandments, all that kind of stuff. So they're supposed to follow through with all of those things. So what do you think they did? They, they didn't. They didn't follow through, right? They, they, it's like a really good mirror of us when we read the Bible. And sometimes when you read the accounts and you read the stories, they just, they didn't follow through on what they were supposed to do. They failed not just a little bit. They failed big time and they failed repeatedly over and over again. They started worshiping other gods from other cultures and they didn't follow through on all the things that God asked them to do. And so God gave them chance after chance. And so finally, um, it's just a really bad situation. Um, they get taken over. This nation called Babylon just comes in. Uh, terrible, terrible. They like burn down most of the city. They tear down their walls that go around the city that would protect it, tear down their temple that they used to worship God. It was just a really bad thing. And then to, to really just, you know, the sucker punch at the end is they go into exile. So what does that mean? They actually take the people from Jerusalem. They take actually all the best tradesmen and skilled people and all those sort of, and they just, they, they just send them on out and they take them back to Babylon with them. And so they're a nation in exile and they leave their city in ruins. And it was a terrible thing. And it was, they were very ashamed and it was like a lot of their pride. And even they were supposed to be the nation that was representing God to the rest of the earth. And so we set up this story of here, these people are in exile and their city has just been laid siege to. It's a really bad situation. It's really not a good place. And so fast forward after this happens, it's been 140 years. This is a long time. This wasn't like some little slap on the wrist. I mean, this was like a big deal. They've been out of their city for 140 years and the walls remained down. They were vulnerable as a city. They had no walls. So anybody could just come in and raid them at any time. It was just a really big deal for them to have that. It was a big embarrassment for them. They had no pride as, as a city, as a nation. And so here we enter Nehemiah. So there was a remnant. There were a group of people who said, we've got to do something about this. This can't, we can't let this stay this way anymore. And so Nehemiah, he is the one who finally is like, we're going to, we see this, I'm a part of this remnant. Someone needs to do something about this. Someone's got to do something. And so something happens. I like to call Nehemiah had a divine burden. It wasn't even something that he saw and was like, man, someone's got to do something. He's just like, I, I just, I got to do this. Just, we can't let this happen anymore. Look how, look how ashamed this is. Our, our city, we're supposed to be representing God to the nations and, and someone's got to go do something about this. And so Nehemiah, who had also been in exile, he wasn't even living there anymore in Jerusalem. He, he decides that he's going to have to go do something about it. And often God will do the same thing with us. I think God will give us a divine direction. He, he will give us some kind of burden. That, that direction, that burden that he gives you becomes the divine direction that God has for your life. You see an injustice, you see something that needs fixed, or you're like, this just can't stay this way. 
I know lots of people, uh, several people in our lives who, who have adopted, which is, you know, having kids, you know, making them, that's the fun part. Raising them is really challenging, right? So some people just skip the fun part, and they just go right to the really challenging part and adopt kids, which is a really big challenge. And we know several people, several families who have done that, and it's incredible. And it, you, you see the need in the world. It's not like you can adopt every kid, but some of these families, like, we, we can adopt one. And then to take, like, a step further, we have several families that we know who have adopted children with special needs. Needs. And so it's not even something that they just adopt them and, you know, you know, it's already hard enough raising a kid without special needs, but then to make the choice that you're intentionally going to put yourself in that position because of the burden, the divine burden that they had. And they can't do it for every kid, but you see this. You see people do these sorts of things. You probably know people in your life who have done that, who've been moved by some kind of burden. And so it causes them to do something that's really kind of a big deal. And so this might happen in your life. Maybe you're like, there's something that I've got to do something about this. Maybe you've, you've had a struggle, or maybe as a guy, pornography has been something that's been a struggle for you, and you're like, I, I'm ashamed of it. I, I hate the way it affects me. And maybe you decide that you're going to do something about it. And we're going to get some guys together, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to put some things in place. We're going to find some stuff that we can put on our phones and filter, and we're just going to help get guys over this. Maybe that's a divine burden that God's placing in your heart. Or maybe, maybe someone, the divine burden that God's placed in your your heart as you see all of the children who need fostered in our area, in our state, and maybe you're like, I can't, I can't take care of all of the kids, but maybe God's putting a divine burden in you to say, I could take care of one. And maybe God's putting some kind of divine burden in your heart for something that you can do. But it really talks, you know, it gets to this point. Does anyone watch, did anyone watch Popeye growing up when they were, come on, I know some of you, some of the younger people might not even, you know, because I probably caught the reruns on Popeye. But I remember watching Popeye. And what happened with Popeye? I mean, Popeye was a pretty easygoing guy. You know, he was kind of ripped in a very strange way. Um, Anyway, his, his body structure was really strange. But anyway, he, he was, you know, kind of ripped, you know, sailor, Popeye the sailor man, right? And he had a girlfriend, Olive Oil, who's, we're talking about body shape, even stranger than Popeye's. Um, but Popeye would get to this point where he'd be pushed, and what would he say? He would finally just get pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and he'd find, he would say, it's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more, right? I'm not even going to attempt to do the Popeye impression. But that's what he would get to the point, that he'd pop open a can of that spinach, right? He'd, you know, eat the whole can of spinach, and he'd just really get ripped, and he'd go whooping on people, right? I mean, it was just amazing to see what spinach, and I tried it when I was a kid, and it's a lie. It's false advertising. It did nothing for me. Tried the spinach. I think it was just a ploy to get kids to eat it, but anyway, that's what Popeye would do, because he just couldn't take it anymore, and this happens in our lives, that something will happen. You will see an injustice. You will see a need. You will see something, whatever it is, big or small, and you'll just be like, I can't take it anymore. I've got to do something about it. Somebody's got to do something, and it might as well be me. And this is where Nehemiah is in the story. He sees it, and he's like, I just can't take it anymore. We're talking about doing something, and somebody has actually got to do something, and it might as well be me. So if we take a look at the story in Nehemiah, the interesting thing about Nehemiah is that he was not qualified to do this whatsoever. Matter of fact, he was the cupbearer to the king. He was not a builder. Um, he was not in construction. Uh, this was not his forte. This was not his gifting. He was not equipped to do what he was going to do. So basically, he felt this need. We got to go down and rebuild the city, but we've got to start by rebuilding the walls. 
So this became what Nehemiah was all about. We've got to rebuild the walls. We've got to go to Jerusalem. We've got to rebuild these walls. We've got to get some pride back for our city. We've got to get some of our honor and our dignity back. And so we've got to build these walls. And so when you're doing something like that, where in the world do you start? Where in the world do you start with something like that that just seems so impossible? Because, you know, Nehemiah, not a construction. He's not a contractor. doesn't have a contracting. It would seem like that would make sense, right? God would call someone who has the contract skills to take place. No, it's not at all. He's a cupbearer. What does that mean? Well, the cupbearer was someone who would actually taste and sample the king's wine. Some of you are like, oh, how do I sign up for that job? Because that sounds kind of amazing. Divine direction. I want to be a cupbearer of the king. You know, I'm sampling the wine. Well, it's not as great as you would think. The reason that he would sample the wine is because he would drink it before the king, and if Nehemiah dropped dead, then the king would know, hey, should probably skip that wine because it's poison. So he was actually the person who had to see if the, the king's wine was poison. Wouldn't it be great to live in that day before they had technology to check for that sort of thing? And you just literally you just dropped dead. Oh, well, I guess you know, that cup's poison. So that, that was a <laughs> terrible thing, not, not a great thing. So this was his job, which gave him proximity to the king, but not something that would necessarily make him qualified whatsoever to go build a wall. So where did he start? He starts by taking it to God. So he has this burden. He's got to do something about it. He's not qualified for this. So where does he start? He takes it to God. He prays to him. And I, I want to summarize this for you. And you can read it in the book of Nehemiah. But I love his prayer and what he says. He's like, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, let your ear be attentive to my cry. I confess our sins, including my own. We acted wickedly. We messed up towards you such in a big way. But God... Remember your promises you gave to us. Give your servant success and grant me favor when I go before the king. So Nehemiah just takes it to God. I, I, got, I got to do something about this. I'm not sure where to start, but I'm just going to bring it to you. And he prays and he asks for favor when he goes to the king and asks him, hey, we need to go back and build this wall. King, will you grant me the favor to be able to do this? So it starts with a prayer. It, stay, it starts with taking it to God, but then it transitions to taking a step. So he makes the prayer, he brings it to God, and then what does he do? He comes before the king. He's like, hey, king, here's what's going on. I'm your cupbearer. You know I'm loyal to you. I'm drinking poison for you, maybe. And so, you know, we want to go back to Jerusalem. We want to build all these walls. My people, you know, it, it, we're, it's, we're ashamed. You know, all the, it's just such a terrible situation my hometown is in. And so would you grant us the favor to go back and fix it? And the amazing thing happens is the king says, yes. King's like, you got this, Nehemiah, yes. Matter of fact, you can go do it, and whatever you need, you let me know, and I'm going to provide it. So it wasn't even just a yes and figure it out. It was a yes, and I'm going to take care of you and make sure that this gets done. So it was such an amazing thing happens, Nehemiah is able to do that. And so, you know, it, you have to ask yourself, this was a big deal. This was not some small undertaking. Rebuilding the walls of a city, this was a really big thing. And so when we come before God or we feel that divine direction or that divine burden that God's asking us to do, and, and, and how do you do something big like that? And I think it's really important to qualify something big because sometimes it can seem like it has to be something that in the natural is a really big deal or really over the top or something that just, you know, we think 
if it's not this big of a deal, then it doesn't matter to God, and it's really not that big. And see, starting something big might be something like starting a women's home for women in our community that need help, or it might start something big might look like starting a small group for women in our community who need that community and that connection together. Something big might start look like starting a men's ministry and getting dozens of guys together and talking about marriage and parenting, but it also might look like becoming a godly husband and a father and starting there, and that might be something really big in your life. It might look like something like starting a brand new business or a venture, and something big also might look like getting out of debt and paying off your student loans. See, something big doesn't necessarily have to be something that is scaled to a certain size. Something big might just be simply the next step of what God is calling you to do. And so this is where Nehemiah found himself, and this is where many times we find ourselves, how do we do this? And there are two things, two ways that I think really help us get to that point, just like Nehemiah being able to follow through on that divine burden. The first one are you ready for this? I know this one, we're just dropping the wisdom today on this one. The first one is to start small. Start small. So you see here in Zechariah 4.10, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise the small beginnings. God's not like, hey, I'm just waiting for you to like get this over the top, then I'll be impressed. No, God is happy to see the work begin. And this is how we are as parents, right? If, you, if you've ever parented a child and you've had young children who get to that age where they start walking, right? And it's such a big deal, right? They start doing like the drunk Frankenstein walk. You know what I'm talking about? You know, they, they don't even like have balance very good. And we, we go crazy, right? They take those first steps and you're just, you're just cheering them on. Come on, it's so amazing, right? You're just so blown away by them seeing their first steps. It's not like we get to that point and be like, that's nice, come back when you're running a marathon. No, no parent is like that. It's just amazing seeing their kids take their first steps. And this is the way God is with us, that he is so excited to see us take our first steps. Many times we think that we just, you know, you know, come back, you know, your kid starts writing a few words, knowing the alphabet, and it's impressive, right? You're just, you're so impressed, you're so proud of it. You're not like, come back when you write a novel. no. And this is how God is with us as his children. He is so excited to see the work begin, that it's not a problem to start small. That many times we get caught up because we see the end result and we see where we want to be and we see where that we want that relationship to be or that personal goal that we want to achieve or whatever it is. And we think because we can't get there instantly that we can't get there, but we've just got to start small. We've got to start small. See, Nehemiah's task was impossible. Let's just be honest. Going to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls, I mean, especially for a cupbearer, I mean, this is just an impossible task. And he faced all kinds of resistance. You'd think people would have been excited, but they weren't. And so we got to kind of back up a little bit and see Nehemiah's process of starting small. See, he did something impossible, which was to build the wall. But before that, he had to work. They had to build the wall. They actually had to physically put the wall, lay the stones, do get the wood, all the things that they needed to do. But before that, while they're building the wall, they actually had to fight people off. So on one hand, they're building the wall. On the other one, they're like fighting off people who are the resistance. And before that, they had to rally the people. They had to take the step to get people, look, come on, we can do this. Let's build this wall. It's going to be amazing. God's called us to do this. And before that, he had to come in and investigate to see even what this was going to take. How are we going to do this? How much work? How much materials? He had to investigate. And before that, he had to wait three days. Why did he have to wait three days? Well, because he just made an 850-mile trip from Susa on probably a donkey or something, and so his butt probably hurt. So he had to wait three days, and that was a step that he had to take. But before that, before he even left Susa to go to Jerusalem, he had to take the smallest step of all, which was simply to pack his bags. 
So when you zoom out like that and take a look, Nehemiah got to the point where he did something which was impossible to build a wall. But where did it all start? It started with him packing his bags, a very small, seemingly insignificant step. And see, we can start small. Some of us, we need to grab our suitcase, right? We need to pack it. Make sure you put some underwear in there, right? Don't forget your toothbrush. And please, please, please pack that deodorant. Because even though you're starting small, you can smell fresh doing it, right? Is any, like, anyone else, like, you know, you're, like, traveling, and you're always, like, the deodorant, deodorant, right? It's, like, the worst thing to forget, even beyond, like, toothbrush. But it's like that. You can get the courtesy toothbrush, but do any of the hotels have courtesy deodorant? I don't, I don't think they do. And if it is, it's not your brand, and it smells weird, and you're off for the day. None of this was in my notes. But anyway, <laughs> make sure that you pack your bags and start small. Thank you, time change. So Nehemiah starts small. And he gathers the officials. And so we're actually going to take a look here in Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. So he gathers all the officials. He gathers the priests, basically the authorities, people who are in charge, people who should be really excited about building this wall. And here's what he says to them. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So they started small. They just began. Matter of fact, he didn't know all the details and everything that this was going to take to get this done. Last week, we talked about having that, the, that prompting, the Spirit's prompting of God calling us to do something. And many times, the next thing that happens, the very next step, is certain uncertainty. And that's where we find Nehemiah. Yeah, we're going to rebuild this wall. We're going to do this thing. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we know we're going to start. And when he rallied the people, he got these people together, and they're like, let's start rebuilding. Let's do this. And they began the work. But they started and I want to make a statement, and this might help you out today, because this has helped me in, in, in very big ways in my life, is that you don't, have the, you don't have to have the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. You don't have to have the faith to finish. You don't have to have it figured out and all the steps and have everything A to Z lined up and you've got it ready to go before you pull the trigger. You just have to have the faith to start. You have to have the faith to say, we can do this. And you might not have everything figured out. And like, if you're like me at all, that can be a really struggle because I want to have the pieces of the puzzle. I want to have the answers. I want to have it figured out before I say yes, before I, I follow after what God's prompting is inside of me. But many times well, that won't happen. And you don't have to have the faith to finish it. You just have to have the faith to start. See, as I take a look back in our past and some of the divine burdens that God had placed in my life um, previously before coming here to Treeline, some of you know our story. We were a part of a church plant in Indiana, and I was the student pastor there for 10 years. And when we came on, the church was young like this. It was about a year old, and there was no youth group whatsoever. But we felt God calling us to, to apply to be the youth pastor, and, and, and there was nothing. When I say it was like starting with nothing, we're starting a student ministry, you know, there was, there was no people to start. There were no students for, you know, start, starting a student ministry. We didn't have teenagers. You know, we had a couple. There was no budget to do this. There were no volunteers. There were no leaders. There was no physical space to do this. Matter of fact, we didn't even have a name. I mean, we were starting from absolute scratch on this. And see, if we didn't have the faith to finish it, but we had the faith to start. And we had to start small. 
We had to start small. We had so much vision inside of us of what God wanted to do and how we could reach all these teenagers and how their lives could be changed and how God could just totally just change their life and just, you know, all of these things, all this vision that God had placed inside of us and this burden that we had inside of us for teenagers. But we didn't have the faith to get to that point of even knowing what God would do with it and eventually grow it to and the impact that it would make and continuing to make to this day. But we had the faith to start. Matter of fact, we found ourselves in that position all over again when we started Treeline Church. See, I didn't even have the faith to get us to the point where we were actually here meeting in services. Before we got to this point, there was a lot that had to happen. And so we didn't have the faith to be like, you know, where are all these people going to come from? Where's the budget going to come from? The meeting location, the name, all of the things, the hundreds and hundreds of things that we had to do to get in place to get this church started. But we had the faith to simply start. We didn't know where it was all going to come from, but we had the faith to start. And that looked like a small start for us. Just like Nehemiah, it looked like us packing our bags, saying yes, answering the call that God had placed on our lives and saying yes to taking that step. And see, we had to start all over again with nothing and starting a ministry. And, see, we, and we don't even know where this is going to go from here. We just believe this is just the beginning of what God has called us to do. But we had to start small. We didn't necessarily have the faith to finish or even see what this would look like even right now, but we had the faith to start. Many times we don't want to start small, right? Because starting small is not always the greatest thing ever. We want to, we want to do this thing and it's going, to, it's going to blow up or we just want those results instantly. But the thing about starting small is that you don't have to think small, right? You don't have to think small if you're starting small, but if you want to do something big, think big, but start small, right? Think big, but start small. Even in starting Treeline Church, we have so much vision that God has placed inside of us. There would be more like, why do we even start a church? There are so many people who have yet to have a relationship with Jesus, to hear that God loves them. There's so many children and teens, the generations just get further and further away from God, and there's so many who need to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's a God who loves them, that has a plan for their life, that he wants to have relationship with them. And so God's placed all this vision and this dream inside of us of reaching people in the Pittsburgh region, but we had to start small. We had to make that step. So we dream big. We've got big dreams inside of us. Big dream. Someone asked me recently, what's the big dream? What's the big picture? And I love getting to share that, the dream and the vision that God has placed inside of us, but it really starts with thinking small. See, we had a vision to lead the youth ministry. We had a vision to start a church, but we had to start with that vision being that small step of getting us there. Matter of fact, really fun story. When we started the youth ministry in Indiana, like I, I just you knew no clue what we were doing. I had never done something like that. I did ministry. I went to school for ministry. They don't teach you in school how to start a youth group like that. And so I remember the, the first youth meeting they had. They hired me. They bring me on. Yes, it's going to be great. We're going to lead this youth ministry. And um, we, we, like I said, we had nowhere to meet. We had no name. We had nothing. So we got a few teenagers together, and we met in one of their houses. So we're meeting in someone's living room. And, and I remember the pressure I felt. And you're like, well, why did you feel pressure? Well, the senior pastor of the church was who just hired me was sitting on one side of me and the owner of the house who you know was pretty much like Jesus was sitting on the other side of me and it was like they gathered these teenagers and it was like now lead them to Jesus Brian I mean this is like the pressure you know it's like we've hired you and now now you will lead them all to Jesus these are your disciples it was like this immense pressure to like I don't know what I'm doing you know we're like we played a game I had like this inflatable ball thing it was terrible I don't remember what I talked about I mean it was just there was a kid over in the corner like clapping 
pool balls in my face like the whole time. It was, it was a terrible situation. It did, a few of you might have been there and you're laughing because you remember that, but it was just, a, it was, a, it was a mess. It was, you know, and you know, just to get to that point and be like, oh, what are we doing here? But then to see how faithful God was, how faithful God was in those little things that when we had that small start in that living room with you know, kid clapping the pool ball in your face and no one listening and me trying to get a game. And, you know, these adults are like, why do we just, hot? we're paying this guy for this? Like, what is going on, right? He went to college. Are we sure? Did someone background check this guy? You know, and, and just being in that point, but could have never had an idea what God would have done in those moments. That small start and then to see hundreds of kids coming to youth group every week, to see God see lives being changed, to see student leaders and teenagers who are to this day who have become adults who are following after Jesus, to see some of them in ministry full-time, some of them started families, and they're not in ministry vocationally, but Christ is at the center of their home and what they do. It was amazing to see the adult leaders who, who came and served, and their lives were changed by them getting involved in serving, and we could have never seen any of that happen had we not had that small start of starting in that living room together. It was amazing to see where we went to where we got from. And it was always, people would always the same thing. People would see that and it would be like, just think it was instant success, right? They'd see the before and after picture, but it was all the small steps, that small start in between, which takes us to number two, take the next step. So you got to start small and then you just got to take one step after another. Take a look at what he says in Nehemiah 2, 19 and 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite and the official of Geshem the Arab, it just sounds like a bad posse, right? It's like, man, who are these guys? Well, they were trouble when they showed up. And when they heard about it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, back up. No, that's not what he said. He answered them by saying, God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. So he takes the next step, and he faced resistance of all kinds. I mean, people were just not for him in this whatsoever. Matter of fact, even some of the people, they live there in the city, they're trying to rebuild the wall, were against him, but they still chose to take the next step. Just do something. Start small, but take the next step. You might not know what the step is after the step that you were taking. Take the next step. It might not make a whole lot of sense to take the step because you're not sure where you're going. Does anyone remember on Indiana Jones? Remember when he's trying to go get the cup and he's like faces the, there was the big divide where he had to go across and he was like, how are we going to get across this? Remember? And they had to like throw the sand and then he could see the step. That's like so much of what happens in our lives that God does that. We, you can't see it. It makes no sense because it's a step of faith, but you've got to take the next step. Start small, but don't stop with the small start. You've got to take the next step. This is where we are as a church. We have no idea what God is going to do. We said, yes, we had the start. We started small, but we're just taking the next step. We believe this is just the beginning of what God has called us to do as a church, but we're just going to keep taking the next step. And I don't know what it is in your life that you're wanting to do, the small start that you need to do. Maybe you're like, I want to lose 10 pounds, or I want to get out of debt, or I want to go closer to Jesus. Or maybe you need to get into, involved in a small group or, or serve some way, and you're going to start serving at church, and you're going to end up with a t-shirt and a sticker on your car, and you're like, how did I become one of those people? Well, you've got to take the next step, right? Just take the next step. Just continue to take it, keep taking it. I love what St. Francis said, this quote, start doing what's necessary, 
than what's possible, then suddenly you are doing the impossible. See, it all starts by taking those next steps. Start small, but make the next step. And this is where Nehemiah was. Nehemiah, remember the cupbearer, not contractor. Nehemiah says yes, has that small start, packs his bags, makes the trip, goes to survey the wall, gets this thing going, but then he just takes one step at a time. And it looks like when you read, and I encourage you to read the story, it looks like it's not going to happen. It's going to fall through. This is an impossible task, and it was. But he kept taking the next step, and you know what? They built that wall, and they built it in 52 days, which I wouldn't even imagine by today's standard was a really big deal that they got this done, let alone with what they had and the resources and the, the adversity that they were up against in 52 days. But once you do what you set out to do, you are just getting started. Oh, man, Brian, I thought we'd like reach the finish line. We could take a breath. Nope, that's not how it works. See, Nehemiah, they rebuilt the wall, but that was just the beginning. Now they're like, we've got to rebuild the temple. We've got to get this economy back up and going. And that's what happens in our lives when we follow after God. We get that divine burden. You never arrive. That's why it's divine direction. Because as you're following after God, we will never finish, which isn't an exhausting thing, but you just keep taking the next step. See, God is directing us in some area of our life. Whatever it is, whatever you feel God putting his hand on that place of your life, it's time to start and it's time to make the next step. I love this quote from Mark Batterson, if you're familiar with him at all. He's a pastor and an author. He's written several books that have been really impactful in my life. And, and this is what he says. He says, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what God can do in a decade. Don't you love that? We overestimate all the time what we can get done in a year, but we underestimate what God can do in a decade. And I can tell you so many times in my life, and I mentioned the student ministry that we started, that's absolutely the way it worked for us. We totally overestimated what that youth group would look like in a year. We didn't get a really far from that first time of meeting in that living room together with the pool balls getting smacked around for a while, but it took some time, and we overestimated what it would look like at the end of that year. But I could have never, ever, ever dreamed what God would do in that decade. I never could have dreamed how faithful God would have been as we just continue to take that next step and take that next step and take that next step at all of the amazing things that he did, the lives that were changed, the people that were reached for Christ, the baptisms that took place, the people who totally set them on a path of following after Christ their whole life, the, the, just the relationships that came out of it, the, the godly marriages that came place out of that student ministry. We could have never, ever, ever foreseen. Matter of fact, what it continues to do, even with us being removed out of it, God's still using it and still doing amazing things in teenagers' lives, but it started with that small start. And so we may overestimate what we can do in the short term, but man, with God in the long term, he usually ends up blowing our mind. See, we didn't have the faith for any of that. We just had the faith to start. I love what it says in Galatians 6, 9. Because maybe you're hearing me talking about starting in small steps and you're like, man, <laughs> Brian, you talk fast and I'm already tired listening to you. But in Galatians 6, 9, it says this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If what? If we don't give up. I just want to encourage you today. And if you take nothing else from this today, I want to encourage you, don't give up don't give up. Don't be frustrated with the short-term failures, the short-term setbacks. Don't give up. 
Start small. Dream big, but start small. But most of all, you've got to start. I believe today that some of you got his place that maybe we've talked about this the last couple weeks or even today you, you know that there's a step that you need to make there's you know there's something some area of your life maybe it's a relationship or a friendship or maybe it's something with your career or something even just in your your personal disciplines and you just know you've got to get this together and maybe it's sometimes it's even felt like this broken cycle over and over again and you get to that place and you just get so frustrated and you just rather quit than start at all and I just want to challenge you today to make the start Man, whatever you've got to do this week to put something in place to make that start because the smallest step in the right direction might be the biggest step you take in your whole life. One of the most impactful decisions might start from the smallest step you ever take. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you, God, that you are for us, that you love us. And God, I just pray for us today, Lord, that you would, God, as you're placing that burden, maybe even talking about it today, it may have just stirred that burden in some people's hearts today of whatever that is, whatever that big step looks like, that big thing that they need to accomplish, Lord. And it's not based on scale, It may not even be doing any kind of ministry or something in service to you. It might be just something internally. It might be a behavior that they need to deal with, Father, or a relationship that needs some attention. God, whatever it is, God, I just pray that you would stir that in them once again, Lord. They would feel that divine burden that you've placed inside of them, God, and I pray that you would help them make that first step of starting small even if it seems insignificant, just like Nehemiah building a wall, packing the bags in the process seemed like it wouldn't even make any difference. But God, we've got to start small. So God, I pray that you would help us make that small start, even as we dream big. And God, I pray that you would help us to make the next step in faith, trusting you, believing you, God, not having it all figured out, but just taking the next step, one step after another, after another after another. We just thank you, Jesus. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we want to give you the opportunity today to make a pretty incredible step. And it might be a small step, but as I said, some of the smallest steps will be the most important steps that you ever make. And today, if you have never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to him, we want to give you the opportunity to say yes to relationship with him. And see, it's not about you being a good person. It's not about you getting all of your stuff together. And it's simply recognizing that every single one of us have fallen short of God's standard. But the good news is that God freely gives his gift of salvation. That's what the gospel means. It's the good news that you can't earn it. You don't have to act a certain way. You don't have to get everything in your life together in order. Matter of fact, God's love is so big for you that even if you never said yes, he still would have given his life for you. Jesus still would have given his life and he did so before you even said yes. So if that's you today, we wanna give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. 
Or maybe you're here and you would say, at one point I said that prayer. One time I was living for Christ. At one time I made that decision, but life just got in the way. Things got busy. Or I was trying to make those steps and I just kept falling and it got frustrating or I saw some pretty terrible things happen and I couldn't understand how a good God would allow those things to happen and so I just walked away from it in frustration or in pain. If that's you today, we want to give you the opportunity to say yes to coming home to a relationship with Jesus because your heavenly Father loves you. So if that's you in either one of those today, while everyone's head's bowed, no one's looking around, just ask you to raise your hand. Just slip your hand up if that's you, if you want to say yes. It's more for God. We're not going to single you out. We're not going to call you. Awesome. Anyone else? All right, we're going to pray together. If you raised your hand or if you should have raised your hand, we're going to pray out loud together. And so repeat after me so that no one prays alone. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God and that you gave your life for me. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we cheer for those who said that prayer today, made a decision? So incredible. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.